0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Black Muse. Black Muse is where creatives from the worlds of jazz, hip-hop, gospel, politics, sports, fashion, theater, and literature engage in the lively art of conversation. My name is Doris Davenport, and I'm with you today as a Black Muse correspondent. This is brought to you by the Chicago West Community Music Center on the west side of Chicago. I'm so pleased today to bring two gentlemen who are doing wonderful things in the world of politics and entertainment. We are going to be speaking today with former Alderman Ed Smith from the 28th Ward of Chicago for many years and we're also talking with Daryl Pitts who's a producer and filmmaker, and we're gonna get all into his business. Let's just get started. I'd like to start with you, Alderman Smith. You ran three times before that one victorious victory uh, for Alderman of the west side of Chicago, and you won an election in an election year when we got our first African-American mayor in the city of Chicago, that being none other than Harold Washington. One of the reasons why I'm so proud of your legacy is that in a city like Chicago, where we hear so much about politics and scandals and all kinds of illegal, corrupt activities, it is true that Chicago is one of the top three corrupt cities in the world. And you were alderman since 1983. I think you retired in 2010, was it? That's correct. And that entire time, throughout your entire legacy, the word scandal was never in the same sentence with your name. Congratulations for being a gentleman and for paving the way for black politicians. How does it feel to have that kind of a legacy in the city like Chicago?
1: Well, it feels very good. But uh, I came up in a family where you did it right and uh, to get in Chicago politics and commit a crime would have been just terrible for my family and for me. And I was not interested in ruining my name. So you go in and do your job, try, you, try your best uh, to do the proper thing to help people and to p- promote the good things in politics.
0: That's what I did. It was always important to you to make sure that your constituents received um, an equal and fair distribution of resources. I've always been interested in how you were able to make that happen. Um, It's hard to get those resources into various communities and not being willing to turn over, not being willing to cut those side deals, but you made it happen.
1: Well, you go in to help your people. I mean, I didn't become an alderman to go in and just, I'm an alderman to do TV shows like this, raise money. I didn't go in politics for that. I went in to help my people. And at the time that I ran, this ward was in terrible shape. People were just discarded. Uh, it looked bad. Uh, the field was out there, the jobs weren't there. So it was my responsibility to do whatever I could to promote the good things in politics. And that's what I did. Did the best that I could, but I certainly wasn't gonna mess up my name and mess up my family <laughs> by, by committing a crime. That was not what it was all about.
0: Now, is it true, Alderman, that you had already written two books before you ran for office?
1: Uh, well, yes, I did. But uh, one of them uh, was written since I've been an alderman. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've been working to become a writer for a long time. And that's a long story that we can talk about for, for a whole hour.
0: Well, we gotta get into it a little <laughs> bit because my understanding is that these are love stories. These are romance novels. Well, look, I'm a, I'm a romantic man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't <laughs> doubt it.
1: Yeah, I, and well, I uh, met a young lady when I was a freshman in college who was a reader. This young lady read all kinds of books and and I I would see her reading all the time and I got to know her and once I got to know her and started to read myself then I got into trying to write and it took me 20-some years to write my first book and uh, the love story books was not a real hard thing to do because uh, I came out of that kind of involvement and so it was very easy to do but the 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 only thing about writing is that you got to be committed Uh, You got to be indefatigable to get on the bookcase, get on the uh, whatever it is you're going to write about, to get on it. Mm -hmm. And don't don't give up continuously to work on it and eventually you can get the
0: book done. And that's what I did. Interesting. Very interesting. Now let's just move down the bench line here to Daryl Pitts. Daryl Pitts, you are a producer and a filmmaker. Your name has been around for, it seems, you know, you're not old enough for, for your name to be around for as long as it seems like it's been around. But you've been at this movie business for a very long time, and I'd like to know what your initial inspiration is, because one of the commonalities that I see between the two of you is this whole sound of love and black people. What was your original inspiration and, and, and how did you get into the movie business?
2: So thank you Doris again for having us. Uh, I initially, uh, I'm a TV producer by trade. Um, I started out at BET on two shows called uh, Teen Summit and Comic View. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was my start. Uh, my initial interest was piqued by uh, Johnny Johnson, the Johnson Publisher. Uh, he wrote an article on a guy, if you don't know this person you should, by the name of Gordon Parks. Mm-hmm. And Gordon Parks was a renaissance man. Uh, he directed Schaff, if any of you know Schaaf. Uh, he was a composer, he was well-dressed, came from very humble beginnings. I found out years later, he dated Gloria Vanderbilt, which again, just like wow, what did he do? <laughs> uh, but um, reading about him and what he was able to do, he was the first black photographer for Life magazine, and he came from humble beginnings. And so it inspired me to say, "Well, if he came from humble beginnings, maybe that's something I could do." And it took me, you know, to my mid twenties to really get in the industry. Um, I didn't know anyone in the industry. I didn't have any contacts. I had any way to get in. You know, no one in my family was in the industry. So it was really a journey to get in, but once I got in, you know, I think everyone has a natural passion and a natural skill set, and it was something that once I got in, I didn't look back. But the beginning was BET and those shows, and uh, my first documentary I produced was on the Negro Baseball Leagues called The Playing Field, and that was back in 92. Mm -hmm. So from there, I just started producing more and more, and you know, whatever subject comes up, I just take it and I
0: proceed from there. I love it um, and I always have a, um, an eye looking out for positive stories about the black community. We can turn on the news any given day and hear the negative stories about our community. One of the things that um, we know is that cultural identity is really important when it comes to young people, you know, coming of age, whether you're a boy or a girl you need those positive images when I hear you talk about your family and what you knew wasn't going to happen was you being a source of disappointment to your family by actions that you would take on the job and I see that ring true in movies that you've been associated with Daryl this whole positivity um you've got three films out all at the same time you've got a movie about women on the move that's actually a TV series. That's a TV series yes. It's running now on Amazon Prime. And um, tell me about the other movie that you have before we get to Rhythm and Blues.
2: So Women on the Move is a TV series, a quarterly TV series. Um, so it airs across the country in 75% of the U.S. households. Uh, here in Chicago, it's on the Fox affiliate WPWR. And um, we have a documentary on the voices of Black men called What About Me? which is on Amazon Prime. Uh, we also did a documentary, which we're gonna bring back up, called Real Black Love, which is a documentary on black romance in movies and how it impacted the culture. And that's got everybody from Keenan, Mia, Lorenz Tate, Diane Carroll, Bill Duke, et cetera. So again, yes, I have been because it's, I love my people. I love what we've done in this country in spite of the odds. And so I wanna celebrate that
0: but you've done, you do some unique things. You're not just the average movie producer. I mean, let's take a look at the movie that you have out, What About Me? This is a film about black men. It's a film about, it, it's almost as if you're going into the machination of the mind of a black man and the heart of a black man, um, and how he thinks and feels, and what made you go down that path? What is it about the black man that, I, mean, I certainly know, but talk to our viewers about why that well,
2: angle. Many times our perspective is not really considered. I mean certainly from an entertainment standpoint we have been, but you know, when we start having these conversations, we find out that we have so many commonalities. Mm-hmm. And mainstream media does not typically sit down and talk to men whether you're a corporate CEO or whether you're a high school student. And we find that we have so many commonalities that don't define us based on demographic, but we're defined by culture. So I really wanted to do something focused on our culture. And you know, when we were talking about it the other day, like every black man understands when you're pulled over by the cops, you put your hands at 10 and two. You don't make any certain movements. And we pass that on from generation to generation. That's not necessarily one of the great things, but it's a reality that we face. And so we have all of these different tastemakers, we have attorneys, we had all of these people come together. and when they start telling their story, uh, we just had a screening the other day, and it was just really inspiring. It was very inspiring. And one girl, uh, one guy went to prison for 12 years for a crime he didn't commit uh, because this whole no, oh, no snitching uh, mm-hmm. thing that we have in our culture. So again, it's really just unpacking what we're going through and really figuring out, okay, how do we make it better for the next generation? How do we make it for the next generation? But they don't have to understand that you got to put your hands at 10 and 2, or all these other things that we've had to go from as generation on. So, hopefully, you know, we can start that conversation and we can start to make some real changes.
0: And now we're going to move to the, the one that's out that's coming out soon yeah. in January, I believe. Yeah. And that is Rhythm and Blues. Now, Daryl, you're executive producer, and Alderman, you are producer.
2: Yes, You' an executive producer also. Oh, exec- um, both he's executive both. Executive <laughs> producer. Let me just correct. Awesome. Here we, we go. Here we go again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we like to tell it like it is. So how and how did you get from author, politics, and now executive movie producer? How did you get involved in filmmaking
1: business? Well, uh, there's a friend uh, that I've been involved with for some time. And uh, he brought Daryl to my office. And what happened was, they started talking about how do we get the funds to do this. I'm the kind of guy who, when I see something, if there's an interest, and I can see that it's going to produce something for the community, then I'm prone to get involved. And so I decided to get involved and try to help them find the funding that they needed to finish the movie. Because in the final analysis, we gotta have people who are gonna produce jobs, not just people who are going to work on the job. And so Daryl had an opportunity here to hire people, become a real producer, in the business and make an impact. So I got involved and tried to help him raise the money that he needed to, to get the movie done.
0: And at what stage did you get involved? Because this is this has been a long time coming, this project. It's, it's not a project that was just started.
1: No, there was a young lady who was involved in this movie before I got involved. She had done some preliminary work on it. And I think that she had brought it to a point where she couldn't take it any further. And once she got to that point, she said, look, I need some help. And she came to Dell. And Dale got involved. And when I saw this guy, I didn't know Daryl prior to that. When I saw this guy, heard him talk, I realized this guy is for real. He can get it done, he can trust him. I need to be involved in this project to make sure that we reach fruition. And I ended up working with the project. We got it done.
0: Interesting. Now, the title of this project is called Rhythm and Blues, and before we go any further, why don't we just let the viewers take a look at the trailer.
2: story of one family's fight to stay together and keep its music legacy alive. I understand why you dock our pay, $50 for tonight, but this pie here is for last night's pay, and you dock us $50 too? I mean, there was a whole lot of people here.
1: I cannot afford to lose money on this music. Thank oh, goodness this is your last night here. Good night. Don't come back. Up down down up. way Yes, yes, yes. What I think about the music business, I think it ain't. No Negro man ever gonna get what he deserved.
2: That's my song. Damn it, that's my song. On the Road Again. The one I recorded for Joe Records. When the music stops, and the frustrations start, where do you turn? Hey. Oh. where you get this racist from? Uh,
1: down on Maxwell Street.
2: Why don't you tell his ass to pay some bills around here?
0: Coming soon, the rhythm and the blues. Wow, Leon. Now, we all know Leon from The Five Heartbeats. And I mean, he's been in so many different movies. Tell me how you scored that one.
2: So I've known Leon uh, for a while. He's actually a friend of mine. Uh, I met him initially when I was doing Real Black Love. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were traveling the country doing screenings, and we were in New York. And uh, I called him and said, hey, I want you to come out. And he came out, and we connected, and we kept in touch. And so when we started doing this project, uh, it's funny because the lead character looks nothing like me. <laughs> the, the lead character, Eddie Taylor, who, who, who uh, applied his trades here on the west side as a blues musician, he's short. Leon is very tall. Leon is 6'4". And so, but what I felt that Leon brought to it was Leon is able to take complex characters, people that you might not necessarily like and make them likable. So if anyone has seen the Temptations movie of David Ruffin, David Ruffin was a difficult person. But when he got kicked out of the group in that movie, you wanted the temptations to take it back. So I thought that that kind of complexity and character uh, as an actor, he could bring something to the table. So I literally was just like, hey, I want you to be in this movie. And he said, OK. I mean, it was that simple. And really, um, with a movie, your characters and the believability of your characters is what's going to make the movie work. So it was really, really important that we got someone that could bring to life you know, that character in that role. And he did.
0: Let's look at why this movie. Um, when I think of the title, Rhythm and Blues, I think of black people because we certainly all have rhythm. And the other thing that we have as a people in the culture are the blues, right? They go hand in hand. We always seem to be going through our journey, seems to have a lot of pain and trauma associated with it. Why? So let me let, let me back up for a moment. It is a movie that is about Eddie Taylor, who is an icon, a legend in the blues industry. Blues for black people in 2021 may not necessarily be the same as what it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. I mean, if you go to a blues concert today, primarily you see mostly white people and not black people. Is the point to try to bring blues alive or simply tell the story of blues? Is this story about trauma? Is it about, I mean, I see a lot of different themes in the movie.
2: Well. First of all, the blues is the foundation of every American musical art form there is, whether it's rock, whether it's gospel, everything comes from the blues. So when you say the blues bring it to light, it's never left. Mm-hmm. Now what happened to the blues is that um, you had people overseas, like the Rolling Stones, uh, who got their name from a Muddy Waters song. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. The blues left and they basically remixed the blues into what we know as rock today. So your favorite artist, whether it's Carlos Santana, whether it's The Beatles, whether it's The Animals, whoever it is, the blues was their foundation. So it is not left. Now what has happened is that, and even for me, when I was growing up, I thought I did not like the blues because it was, you know, when my parents played the blues, it would always be loud, it would be liquor, (laughs) and the kids had to go to the other room. So I was just like, I hate the blues. I absolutely hate the blues. (laughs) Uh, But I didn't realize that many of the songs that I liked were based on the blues. So I think that from a generation, we were taught that the blues was that old Southern music. And you know, I grew up in the city, and I was urbane and all these other things. And it's like, the blues was country. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, we had a phrase back then. It's like your country. And that just meant you would not if and not happening and not realizing that basically these country folks helped to put us where we are today. And we can't afford to discard that. We can't afford to discard that legacy. And so when you go to these concerts and you see mostly white people there, it's unfortunate because we're giving away. If you go to many jazz shows, you see mostly white people some of the bigger hip-hop artists like people. So again, we've given away what is our foundation and we can't continue to do that. So the rhythm and the blues is not just about Eddie Taylor, it's gonna be about many stories. And the interesting aspect of someone like Eddie Taylor, and I'll say this, I've never said this, is that um, Eric Clapton basically stole one of his songs. I mean, just out there, and that happened a lot, where they just basically, took your song, got no compensation, and, you know, that's the unfortunate part of what we had. So we want to bring some of these things to life, and we want to bring some of these innovators back to the forefront in the conversation that we're having today. So that's the reason. It's not just, you know, a movie about trauma. It's about love, it's about passion, it's about family. And that's something that everyone can relate to, and that's what the film is about.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, it's really pretty awesome. We have a lot of blues films out there. Um, a lot of blues, rather documentaries that are out there. One thing I do find in the city of Chicago is people are trying to bring supper clubs back. People are trying to open, I know at least three um, potential blues clubs that may be opening in the next year or two. So it seems like there is this move afoot to bring blues back into our entertainment arena as a people and that's a good thing because it talks about our trauma and it is one of those things that kind of brings black people together one thing you can't deny is if you look back at those old gray crackly documentaries that talk about the blues from back in the day they're talking about so much pain but it seems like the longer you listen to it the happier the people on the dance floor are. How do you explain that that, 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 that contradiction almost. Well,
1: you know, I was born real in the country and they had these blues clubs uh, where people went on Saturday night. They ate- The Jim cat- Yeah, they, <laughs> they, they ate catfish and uh, played the blues. People got on the floor and danced and uh, people were happy that night. Now, Monday morning, they got to get up and go <laughs> back to the field <laughs> They got to go back to the woods and cut the logs and the paperwood. But they're having a good time that night.
2: That good feeling is going to linger.
0: Interesting. That's, hmm?
2: That's just great. I mean, you know, again, I wasn't of a generation where blues was prominent, but to hear that. And the other thing that we really wanted to do was we wanted to make a sexy blues film. Because again, I mean, we get dressed up, and we move, (laughs) and we do all of those things, It's something very beautiful and very poetic about that. And we wanted to capture that. We don't think, I mean, I have not seen a blues film that really focused on, these are beautiful people. These are beautiful people in their lives, they're beautiful in their music. And so we wanted to capture all of that essence of who and what we are in the music and in the movie.
0: Do you see any parallels between um, the movie industry today, uh, as when you first got started, as a black man movie, as a black male movie producer? There's a lot more
2: people now that weren't out there when I first got started. It was very sparse. It was very sparse. Um, on television or in movies, you know? When I got started in TV, I mean, my contemporaries, and we would sit around, there were probably eight or nine of us, whether that was Soul Train, Showtime with the Apollo, I mean, these were iconic shows, but yeah. that was where I got started. And to see these black men making their way on their own, unapologetically black, what they were doing was unapologetically black. So I come from that kind of background. So to see it come full circle and to see whether it's the Tyler Perry's or the Lee Daniels or the whomever, to see those people plan their trades and you know Tyler Perry's building his own airport now, Mm -hmm. I mean it's great. I mean it's absolutely great. So the more opportunity we have, the more stories we're able to tell and all I would just want to see is diversity in terms of story. Mm -hmm. You know we don't have to have all great characters, but we should have a diversity of stories being told and images that are being told on screen.
1: There has to be an avenue to allow more black people to get involved in the business aspect of this business. Uh, It's okay to create jobs for people in the industry, but somebody has to come up with a mechanism where people can become real developers in this business. Otherwise, we, we're not really making any progress. Uh, now, you don't see a whole lot of black folks involved in this business. They're just not there, and we've got to find a way to get them involved and make sure that uh, they become the guys who can produce these movies, got the funds to do it. That's, that's has, it has to happen, and it's not going to happen unless we get someone who's interested.
0: That is a good point, and this is one of the reasons why I'm so proud to be a board member of the Chicago West Community Music Center. One of the things that the Chicago West Community Music Center does very well is not just teach the art of music. Chicago West doesn't just teach students how to play instruments. They don't just teach people how to sing, but they also teach the business of music so that all the students coming through the school understand what it means. And Howard and Darlene, the founders of the Chicago West Community Music Center, Howard and Darlene Sandifer, they do an excellent job at even placing those kids, taking them out of the classroom and putting them in the workplace so that they can see how it's done. It's a testament to what you're saying. We've got to teach them what it's like on the other side. We're not just trying to create or grow a generation of employees. That's right. We want to grow a generation of employers. When will Rhythm and Blues, the movie, be released? Well, we're in the shopping process now. Um, and
2: we've had some preliminary offers, but we are, I mean, that's when you start talking about the business. The business is the really critical part of it because without the business, you're not able to do the next one and the next one and the next one. And uh, just as an aside, I've, I've been doing some documentary work in music, and what I have found about the music business is very disturbing, to say the least, and so it's really been even more of a reason why we want going to do this. Uh, Little Richard had a contract where he got a quarter of a penny on his record sales, And he said once, I didn't know you could split a penny four ways. <laughs> so uh, many of them did not make a lot of money Um, and so it's very important that because a lot of them are gone now that we take their story and we make them the heroes that they deserve to be so that's why it's important that's what drives me and that's what drives us together so I'm very happy I don't know when it's coming out I'm hoping in the next three to four months but again, whatever it comes out, we wanted to have its gesture. That's the main thing, or to do what we planned on doing.
0: What's next?
1: Well, we got some plans that we don't want to talk about because <laughs> they, uh, you know, they're not complete. But uh, one thing I can emphatically say is that we're
2: going to do something else, and it's going to be good. And it's going to be big. And it's going to be black.
0: All right, and I want to be here to tell the story. <laughs> I really appreciate you, Alderman Ed Smith, and executive producers, both of you, Daryl Pitts, uh, for speaking with us here today on Black Muse. This is really a special conversation. We've got two living legacies here in front of us. And as much as we can do through the productions of Chicago West Community Music Center with Howard and Darlene Sandifer, when we have the opportunity to bring gentlemen like yourself, black men, who we believe the world should be looking up to and opening all kinds of doors and pocket strings. We want to bring these stories to our communities and beyond. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Doris Davenport and that is a wrap.